Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And today, Jimmy's not here for this, but today we've got somebody special. If you're on social media in the Baptist world, in the Reformed world, then you know this guy. You like this guy, unless you're some kind of troll or weirdo. You love Dr. Ed Romine. Ed Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me, brother. It's a joy. It's so cool. We get to we get to do this. We've you've been to the conferences. We've met up in person at places. Uh, we've talked, yeah. you know, skyped and all that stuff, or whatever you, whatever we do. Uh, but man, good to have you on the podcast finally. Yeah, it's a joy to be here. I've been listening since almost the podcast inception. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a big encouragement, and you've always been such a such a good example in so many ways uh, for me and for others, even though, you know, you're much younger than I am. Uh, I really appreciate your, well, first of all, you're, you're a doctor. I mean, you got your doctorate at Midwestern and you, you, you get your, is it, a, is it a doctorate in Spurgeon? Like, how do you explain what your doctorate is in? Yeah, oh, it's a doctor so of philosophy. The, yeah. So it's a PhD degree with an emphasis in historical theology. Great. And within and within that, I narrowed it down to wanting to study Spurgeon. Great. So, and what was your what was your thesis uh, focused on? Yeah. So my thesis was that Spurgeon's pedagogy and practice of open air preaching was the driving impetus for his calls for both sinners and saints. To repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. Nice. So essentially, in other words, Spurgeon's teaching and his own personal practice actually doing open air preaching is what made Spurgeon such a valiant warrior for the cross. Mm. Well, that's what we want to talk to you about, man. We want to talk to you about Spurgeon, who he was, why he was so important in his day, why he remains important today, if in fact he does. Um, And I'm curious if there are any points at which you're like, "Mm, I don't really like this part about him or about what he thought or did or believed. Um, But for those of you who don't know, for the few of you who don't know um, who uh, our friend Ed is, Ed is a musician, first of all. Maybe you didn't know that. His friends know that. Ed, what do you play? What, what do you play? Yeah, so I play the euphonium and the trombone. Were you and born in like 1810? You, you like you, you play instruments like the euphonium? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, well, it's, it's a young instrument. Oh. It was actually invented in the 19th century by a man named Adolf Sachs, who also invented the saxophone. Oh, wow. But in the world of instruments... It's relatively young. It's not the yeah, yeah. century. And uh, the the way I like to describe it to people, it's like a mini tuba. Oh. So most people are familiar with a tuba that's right. quite a bit bigger. And, you know, little kids think it sounds like farting, right? <laughs> yes, it does. So, so I still the think euphonium that. has the same range as a trombone. Okay. And uh, I've been playing since 2001. And, Wow. And uh, I was at a recent concert. The Brigham Young University professor invited me to sit in on a concert with his uh, students. And I met this freshman, and he said, 
his name and he told me how old he was and then the thought hit me like I have been playing my instruments longer than you've been breathing God's air. <laughs> That's amazing. So that, 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 that was a, almost depressing, you know. Uh, so. I, I I like it, man. Just get older and just embrace it. Like, what can you do? Hey, so yeah. so there's there's that one. I've and so I have seen that. It's the it's mm. the what looks like a small tube. I've seen people play that. Now, what's the other right. instrument? The trombone. The trombone. That, that's cool. the instrument with the slide. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Love it. Love so, it. Yeah, my, my my degree, my bachelor's degree is technically in trombone. So. <laughs> I love it, man. That's so cool. So yeah. if you didn't know, Ed is a musician, a real musician. He's not like some hack who just kind of like plays on the side. Like he has studied and he's he's good at this. It's one of those things. But he's also, if you if you don't know, he is a theologian and he is a preacher. He is an evangelist. Uh, he you're an apologist. I mean, you 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 are a lot of things, um, and so. But what I, I'll tell you what I one of the things I love about you. I love I love your brain, but I also love your heart, man. You love the church. You love people. You are one of the more one of the most earnest people that I know. And earnestness is in small supply today. Uh, you know, you you say what you mean, and uh, and when you express affection or interest, it's legit. Uh, and people know it, right? People can, people feel that from you. Um, you know, if you, if you happen to make the, the rare mistake, you know, in a tweet, you'll just be like, Hey, you know what? I, I shouldn't have done that or whatever. Like, I love your humility, man. I love your, your passion and you are just, uh, you're a gift to the church, man. We're grateful for well, you. Thank you, dear brother. I think there's one thing that Joe Thorne doesn't love about me and that's my hooks well because you're you're built like a pit bull i mean (laughs) goodness sakes man you're in a wheelchair and i don't i don't expect you to come at me with vice grip hugs and like you squeeze the life out of me like i feel bones popping and whatnot i'm like what is going on i think like okay he's in a chair so like i I know i better be gentle with him don't need to worry about it man ed will wreck you (laughs) ed will will destroy you when I was in high school, which was a while ago now, I used to lift weights. So well, it's, it still shows, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, God, God has been good to me as far as physical health and all that. And, and uh, just so you know, I don't go in with the intention of hurting Joe or anybody oh, else. No, I know it. Yeah, you know, I, I just get excited, and I, <laughs> and you know and. When I see Joe at the Southern Baptist Convention or in Illinois, and I hug him, and then the next thing I know, his eyes are on the floor rolling around. Yeah, yeah. In in fact, um, here let me. Uh, I, I can show you a picture. I don't think we're set up for this, but uh, but I was. I actually looked that picture up today. So here, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to bring you into this. Oh, I'm on the wrong page, anyways. Uh, I'll, I'll. We'll have to. We'll have to work on it. Um, but I do. I do have a picture of of you and I and, uh, and Tony at the, Love uh, Tony. yeah, Tony Dopke, man, uh, as another great guy. But, uh, listen, this, this is not super professional here, but I'm just going to do it anyways. All right. So there's a picture. Let me bring you into this so you can, uh, boom, there you are. All right. There's that picture. There yeah. we are at the SBC. Look how short my beard was, man. I really did cut it all off, didn't I? Um, yeah, I almost didn't recognize you. I know, walking around with a short beard, I still start slowly coming back. But man, uh, yeah, that was before you killed me uh, with another hug. <laughs> I was uh, right before. Right? Yeah, yeah. This was see, I'll see. I'm happy. Tony's happy. Yeah. And then Tony had to carry me yeah. out of there, take me to the medic. So. Yeah, um, well. 
Tony Strong too, so he can lift. Oh, you Tony's up. got girl arms. Look at Tony. Get out of here with Tony. Not, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. Uh, no, Tony's a runner. Tony's actually he is he is very strong. Okay, Ed, let's get into yeah. it, man. Um, most like you're wearing your Spurgeon tee. I'm wearing my Spurgeon hoodie. Um, yep. Get these Spurgeon hoodies at JoeFolkStore.com. Um, Amen. We uh, we love Spurgeon. We we have been blessed by Spurgeon. I remember as a young Christian, a very young Christian, somebody told me to pick up a devotional, and uh, the first devotional I ever had was Morning and Evening by Spurgeon. I still have that red book. It's a red hardcover version of it, and I still have it. And uh, so you can see how God providentially steers steers people right uh and he, that's one of the early influences of my life was that simple devotional and then of course from there i began to learn more about spurgeon that was way back in the early early 90s so a lot of people love spurgeon he's uh people like still read his sermons there's not a whole lot of sermon reading going on these days but people still really read him so who was spurgeon for people who may not know who was this guy yeah so First and foremost, you need to know that Spurgeon was born in the 19th century, so the 1800s, more specifically, 1834. And he died in 1892. So if you do the math, he lived to be 57 years old. So this prominent preacher did not have a long life. Right. But it can be argued that he had a full and productive life. Spurgeon is most well known, as you have alluded to, to his preaching. And what was so interesting about his preaching is that if you look at the newly completed, I think just completed, seven-volume set of the Law of Sermons, what's so interesting about those sermons was that was his first pastorate at hmm. Water Beach. And he was just, at the beginning, a 16-year-old boy. Wow. So we have sermons from the age of 16 to the age of 57. And it, it for the most part, is a week-to-week preaching ministry. Hmm. And just having that amount of available material. Yeah. I mean, you you could stay involved in Spurgeon for a lifetime. Hmm. But what a lot of people don't know is how much of a rarity it would have been for a nonconformist preacher, pastor, to have such a big influence. Hmm. And if your people who listen don't know what nonconformist means... That basically means that he was not a part of the established church in England, which would have been the Church of England. Right. And the, him being the biggest nonconformist preacher, which mainly consisted of Congregationalists, Presbyterians, and Baptists, him just having such a big influence, people at the time knew him not only as a preacher but as a busy pastor Mm. and my brother Jeff Chang over at the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern just came out with a book uh, chronicling Spurgeon's pastorate which has never really been 
focused on academically before. Okay. And it can really be argued that even though Spurgeon was productive and fruitful, he actually probably worked himself to death. Mm. Because, I mean, uh, he didn't eat healthy. He had medical problems. And uh, he was just going nine to nothing. Right, right. All the time with all of his parachurch organizations, Mm -hmm. all the preaching. He preached multiple times a week. Um, Tom Nettles has said that the big 63-volume set um, that I actually get the work out of, that's not everything he ever preached, Mm. which is just astounding. Right, right. When you think about that. Let me me ask you, um, you know, because I want us to talk about his preaching, um, but what— when I have, I've obviously the one the sermons that I've read by him over the years have been later in his ministry. Uh, when you look at those sermons from his teens, have you read those? I've I've read a fair amount of them, not every one of them. What how, how, are they good? Like what are they like? They're good for his age. I'll put it that way. So they don't. Uh, you know, so you you can when you follow it, you can actually see him develop into the preacher that we know of as Charles Spurgeon. Yes, yes. Oh, that's cool. in, in the earliest notebooks, he actually like takes outlines from other preachers. No, oh, does he really? Which, yeah, which, yeah, which I think I think that's okay for a sixteen-year-old boy, <laughs> not for a not for a big ministry leader. If, if you can smell what I'm putting down. Man. Oh, I smell it. You know what? Yeah, smells pretty good. Yep. Um, yep. All right, so he was a he was a, a Baptist, a nonconformist preacher, and he had a lot of influence. His ministry blew up; his church is huge. But mm-hmm. like, part of what's weird, I mean, he's not only is he nonconformist, like he doesn't have a formal education for this, does he? Correct, correct. He almost uh, went into formal education, and really, in the providence of God, God, God ended up stopping mm-hmm. that, but. Formal education or not, uh, Spurgeon just had a mind like a steel trap. So even before he was converted by that Methodist preacher, and you know, you can listen to other people talk about that. We want to be very specific in our discussions. Even before he was converted, he was reading his grandfather's Puritan library. So he was well acquainted with Puritan doctrine, the Puritan way of preaching that was formulated by by men like William Perkins, right. you know, that seminal work, The Art of Prophesying. Yep. So Spurgeon, especially in his New Park Street pulpit, the first six and a quarter volume or so, it, it's very, very puritanical. Mm. And those are my favorites because it chronicles Spurgeon from about 19 to to 21-ish, I believe. I could be wrong on my math there. But he did not uh, start really maturing till later. But there was a sense of fieriness in those old New Park Street uh, sermons that I just really, really, really appreciate. And uh, Steve Lawson says the same thing. If you want the fiery Spurgeon, you've got to read those Mm. old uh, New Park Street volumes. Okay. So. Cool. so what was it about Spurgeon's preaching that set him apart from 
the majority of other preachers of his day? Like, how was his preaching unique? Yeah, so I would say a couple things. First and foremost, he was so earnest, to use your word about me. Spurgeon was so earnest to preach the cross of Christ and to labor amongst his people till Christ be formed in them. So so that would be one thing. I, I mean, I, I graded some sermon manuscripts earlier this morning, and um, some of the things I told my students is, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Mm. Go home until you have something to preach. Wow. Yeah. And that that's a direct, blunt, but earnest quote from Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. You know, he really wanted his sermons and his students' sermons to be focused upon Christ. Right. The second thing that I think is really helpful to think about with Spurgeon is the Church of England had educated clergy, and a lot of their clergy, not all, because J.C. Rowell wouldn't fit into this paradigm, Yeah, yeah. but a lot of their clergy uh, wanted to show off their education. So they, they would speak in very eloquent, very high convoluting uh, terminology. And Spurgeon is uh, somewhat famous for saying, uh, God said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, feed my giraffes. Hmm. So you think about the giraffes with the long neck so yeah. they can reach up to the top shelf and get something. He's saying, you need to put the truth of God on the ground. So uh, Grandma Ethel from Country Bumpkin Baptist Church can understand what you're saying. Yeah. He didn't say that part. That was me paraphrasing right, right. him. But, That's good but, because, I mean, I know, and he got heat for this. I mean, he got like, right. they were they were really put off by the, 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 the language and some of the illustrations and, and all of this because it seemed uh, unprofessional or uncouth or something, right? Right. That's right. But the people loved it. People were like, "Whoa!" Because uh, it's almost like going from you're speaking in Latin. I don't, I don't speak Latin. What do you? I don't know what you're doing. When they use all this highfalutin language, speaking over people's heads, but Spurgeon talked to them like you would talk to somebody, right? Right, right. That being said, um, he did use some vocabulary throughout the sermon that I still had to go get a dictionary for, but but <laughs> quite. For the most part, I mean, he really does speak in the uh, lingua franca of the day, if you will. Right. The common language of the day. Uh, I'll give you one example. I'd go look up this word, and it's become one of my favorites. Uh, he uses the word lugubrious twice in the 63-volume set. I have heard of the word lugubrious. Oh, say it for me again. Lugubrious. Lugubrious. I got a Texas Lugubrious. accent. Lugubrious. All right. So I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm just going to guess by what yeah. it sounds. The word sounds like sluggish. No. That's what it sounds like. It's like, man, I'm feeling pretty lugubrious. I can't even say that word. Yeah. What, so what does it mean? So, so it means, you know, sorrowful, sad, melancholy. Oh. And it's like, why didn't you just say that? Well, I hate that word because I can't like, say it. I don't, I don't like that word. Yeah. It's <laughs> like in Tom Nettles' biography, and I don't mind if he hears this. I think it's hilarious. So in Tom Nettles' big biography of Spurgeon, 
um, he uses the word, I think in the introduction, elemocenary. <laughs> and I had to go look that up. And uh, yeah. so an elemocenary means something to do with charity. This, I feel it's like I have so a pretty good vocabulary. I don't know either of these words. I'm not even, yeah. no no sense of what these words mean. I, I haven't yeah, even see, heard of that second one. I that has never, never heard that before. Yeah, so I'm sure you've got Nettle's book, Living by Revealed Truth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just to start reading the introduction, you'll it's right there. come across the word. Okay, so you said there were th- you said you were going to say three yeah. things about his preaching. One was that he was earnest in his preaching, always drawing people to the cross, uh, yeah. that he preached in the language of the day to people, just like the New Bible was written, the New Testament's written in Greek for you know the common language of the people. Uh, what was the third? Yeah, so I actually only said two. Oh, I you think. said two. I'm sorry, I saw you three. All yeah, right, my bad. No worries. I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot. Okay, so, so he was able to do that. He was able to preach in a way. I mean, and his preaching is. I mean, I found it to be very experiential and very theological, right? Just like the Puritans, right? Every doctrine has right. multiple uses. Um, there are many implications for us with uh, with all the doctrines that we hold. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not a Puritan, but he's so influenced by them that it comes out. And so, you know, even a lot of people I know that somewhat know about Spurgeon and have heard good things oftentimes don't know that he was a reformed Baptist. You know, he was a thoroughgoing Calvinist. Um, and they find out later on that this super evangelistic, you know, missions minded guy, uh, is, is counted among the greats of the reformed tradition. So we, we, we look at him as a, as a man who's a great preacher and he had great influence, but it's more than that, right? He was a necessary figure in London in his time, right? right? Why, was, why was Spurgeon important? Why was he important in his day? Well, I'll just sum up the, the answer to that question. When people in America went to England, the question that they got on both sides of the Atlantic were, did you see the Queen? And secondly, did you hear Mr. Spurgeon preach? Really? Yeah. And it is hard for us to grasp in a world without internet just the popularity of Hmm. the man. Uh, So much so... (laughs) That when he was, when he came out strong against American slavery, mm-hmm. I, I mean, his, his sermons, his books were burned. Yeah, because he was popular on both sides of the Atlantic, and right. great, greedy uh, slaveholders didn't want people getting a hold of their sermons and thinking biblically about that issue. Right. So, so there were threats in Southern newspapers calling for him to be whipped, calling for him to even be hanged. And at that time, he wasn't even in the prime mm. of his ministry. So so I, I've often wondered, like, should he have been as famous and influential as he was? And the answer to that is no, uh, because he was still a human being. But God still used him and and God has blessed many through him. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I was thinking about and what made him important in his day was 
that you know he he was also as as earnest and experiential as he was as evangelistic as he was he cared so much about doctrine you know and he, he yes. fought he fought for doctrine he fought for truth you know he wasn't afraid to step into that you know when things were starting to go downhill in london theologically um you know he was he was a figure there that that really stood out um right among his peers and you know again i mean people either seem to love or, or hate him there didn't seem to be a lot of people right. that were indifferent towards spurgeon no mushy middle right, no, right yeah not there's just no room for it so is right. he is he important to read today is 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 how valuable of a resource do you think spurgeon is to the church uh that is a loaded question but i'll answer it this way um spurgeon is important to read today because you see a man in the maturity of his ministry uh, love Christ uh, at all costs mm -hmm. and also love those who love Christ. And in a day when there is social media strife and people are arguing about whether or not people are good to read or people are not good to read and uh, their initials may be T.A., Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> we really need to look at the gospel ecumenity of Spurgeon. Mm. Because Spurgeon, and I, I pulled this out from my dissertation and it got a lot of traction on social media. Spurgeon, in his mature ministry and thinking, was even able to read and benefit from Roman Catholics that he felt truly knew the Lord Jesus Christ and was able to use the colloquialism, spit out the meat, or no, spit out the bones, eat the meat, right? Right. right. And in that same paragraph where he says that, he goes on to say, even though I hate their practices, I still think they're a bad church. I, I've learned from them. Yeah. No, I think and, that's that's and, a good example, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one very important thing that I think we ought to remember is that if somebody loves the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to spend eternity with them in heaven. Mm -hmm. So So why not start loving them now? Yeah, don't make it awkward in heaven, people. All right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> be like, mm. exactly. I know. I know. We'll all be glorified. Um, if somebody wants to start reading Spurgeon or reading about him, like, it, what's a good entry level bio on Spurgeon? Yeah, Arnold Davenport. <laughs> okay. Uh, just simply called Spurgeon a biography. And that's not going to be not going to be too much for people. It's not going to be too much. What's that? It's not going to be too much for people to read. No, as an entry. No, it's a it's a paperback banner book. It's Great. About 220, 250 Perfect. pages. I haven't read that. Not small print. Okay, good. Thank, and, thanks, Ben. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it it's a good introductory uh, bio, <laughs> and that's if somebody is a layman, I would definitely mm -hmm. tell them to start there. If they have aspirations to the ministry, whether they want to be a pastor, missionary, evangelist. Uh, I would tell them, as well as a good starter bio, 
they need to pick up Steve Lawson's little book, which I believe is published by Reformation Trust. Yeah. That's R.C. Sproul Ligonier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that little book, it's part of the A Long Line of Godly Men yeah. series. Well, it's a short thing. Um, it's easy to read. It's a, it's a quick read. Yeah, yeah. I would say for somebody going into the ministry, that book is one of the most important books that you never knew you needed in your library. Great. And the title of the book will tell you exactly why I just made that extreme statement. Uh, Brother Lawson titled it The Gospel Focus of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Mm. Awesome. And and that book is the reason why... uh, Humanly speaking, I have a PhD in Charles Spurgeon. Mm. That set the flames for me. So, so, so I, I love that little book. And if um, you know, if in, in your estimation, uh, if they want to start reading his sermons, I know we can hop online. You can find out some of them for free, uh, just read online. But if they wanted to get <laughs> something, uh, is there a good like collection that's not going to destroy the bank? Is there a particular set that you like? Oh, here's a good one that's. That you, that's good to have and work your way through slowly. Yeah, that that's accessible. Yeah, I would say um, uh, if you look, Whitaker House publishes uh, like Spurgeon on the Holy Spirit, and, and there'll be a random compilation of like everything Spurgeon said on the Holy Spirit. Okay, cool. Uh, but in all honesty, I will say this, um, and it's not just because I went to school. Uh, there, but MBTS, the Spurgeon Center, has done a remarkable job digitizing all all of the uh, sermons of Spurgeon from the big sixty three volume set. So uh, I would say just go online, read those really good digitized sermons, okay, and just uh, e- eat all the meat because those Whitaker House. Uh, they can be abridged, right? Um, so I'm you, not sure that all of them are, but they, I've noticed some abridgments. So you, um, you, we, you and I'll talk offline, but you go. To, is it is it all linked up at Midwestern MBTS dot edu? Yeah. All right. Yep, cool. Yep, yep. All right. Yeah, I got to check that out. <laughs> I didn't know about that. And listen, yeah, I, I have a question do, for you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I have a question because you know you've studied Spurgeon. I've only read mm-hmm. Spurgeon. Um, I everybody knows, not everybody. A lot of people know about the Treasury of David, his commentary on the Psalms. Right. I was in a pastor's library 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't remember. Um, well, yeah, it would have been, well, I guess it, would have, it wouldn't have been that long ago. I'm sorry. It would only have been about 20 years ago, 21 years ago. Anyways, I'm in this guy's library, and he has a collection of old books, big collection, and it's mm-hmm. called the Treasury of Scripture. Yeah. And it looked Treasury like... Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Is is that all Spurgeon? Yes. Okay, what what if, the heck is that? If you're thinking of what I'm thinking of, yes, it is. Yeah, Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Yeah, Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. And it was multiple volumes. It looked like it covered the whole Bible. It looked like commentary on all of the Bible. Well, yeah, yeah. What is that? If, if you're... Yeah. So that, if it's what I'm thinking of, and, and I could be wrong here, that is a big set of Spurgeon sermons that uh, a lot of which are in the big 63-volume set, which is right over here, the gold volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tom Nettles, uh, 
has said in the introduction to his big biography that there are some uh, sermons in that set that were not included mm. in the 63 volumes. Okay. Uh, if it's what I'm thinking. It's got to be. Uh, I've never. So yeah. they, they looked like they were arranged in a biblical order, though. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. It does. Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, I think it's the scripture encyclopedia. It's what I'm thinking of. Is that what you're thinking of? I, I saw yeah. it was Treasury was a part of it because I remember Treasury of David and then it, this was Treasury of Scripture. So I'll, all right, yeah. I'm just curious because I've never seen it anywhere else. I've never heard anybody mention it, and it yeah through really through. Well, me. I, I tell you what, if you can find the link of it, that'll that could help. Yeah, me I out, should so. I should uh, I should look it up. Yeah. All right, one last question yeah. for you: Is there anything that stands out? You know, it's when you when you you read bios and you take an interest in a historical figure. The temptation is, if you like them, is to, uh, you know, really set them up, not find any faults with them. You know, a lot of biographies is just hagiography. It's just like, oh, look, look at how awesome this person is. And uh, I'm not saying that there's no place for that. I, you know, I, you know, you don't have to. It kind of depends on what your purpose is with the bio. But when you look back at Spurgeon's ministry, his theology, his teaching, is there anything that ever stood out to you where you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with this. I, I think he's off here. Yeah. So I, I'll give you um, one. Uh, there, there, <coughs> excuse me. There's a, there, there's a few, but one that really stands out to me is that, um, he did not have, uh, in my opinion, a robust doctrine of taking the Lord's Supper mm. in the context of the gathering of the local church. Okay. Like, for those of your uh, dear listeners that know more about Spurgeon, um, you may know that uh, he was sick and vacationed a lot in Menton, France. And that's actually where he died was at his little vacation spot in Mentone. Well, on one of those occasions when he vacationed, uh, for whatever reason, he got the uh, sense that it'd be a, a bright idea to hold communion in his hotel room. Mm, yeah. And opened it up to the public. <laughs> and uh, he even yeah. encouraged, he even encouraged, and Jeff Chang talks about uh, this and his uh, new little book that everybody should own. Jeff didn't pay me anything to say this, but uh, he talks about how even in like small gatherings, uh, he would encourage his people to take the Lord's Supper together oh, apart from yeah. the gathering of the local church. So, I mean, that that's one area. Yeah. Another one, he tended to be very... Uh, Roman Catholic in his view of suicide, meaning that uh, you know he he tended to think that if you committed suicide, that was an automatic ticket to hell. Wow, uh, yeah, which I, I I don't agree with that. And no, at least in his early ministry, um, he believed that uh, there would be uh, more people in heaven than in hell. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, and in my in my dissertation, uh, my favorite sermon of Spurgeon's is called "Heaven and Hell." Uh, I think I tweeted that at you once because yeah. you asked, but but uh, 
in heaven and hell, it's pretty obvious the what he talks about in that sermon. The first portion of his uh, sermon was on heaven. And the second portion of his sermon was on hell. And he uses the scripture in Mark that talks about many will recline to me at the table, but the children of the kingdom, they'll be cast out. Uh, he uses that scripture to talk about heaven and hell. And and uh, in his portion on heaven, he he basically says in his sermon, that do you really think Christ is going to lose? Mm. Because he is equating the yeah. the quantity of people right. with uh, with uh, heaven losing to Satan if right. they don't have more than those that are in hell. But when you think about it, he was twenty one when mm-hmm. he preached that sermon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm decently older now than a 21-year-old myself. And, uh, yeah. you know, I just think about even though Spurgeon is Spurgeon, you can still see the faults of youth and his thinking. Yeah. And uh, it can be very easy to romanticize Spurgeon. So, yeah, he I'm, was a human... He I was do. a human just like the rest of us. And it's good, man. It's good. Like I like it's it's interesting because you know, I laugh at these things because those just happen to be things where it's very settled for us in, in our, you know, theological camp. You know, mm-hmm. when and where to hold communion, um, things like that. But uh but we've got other issues, right? I mean, if if, if Spurgeon were looking forward to me, he'd probably find <laughs> things about me where he's like <laughs> This guy's dumb. What is he? What is he talking about over here? We've all got these weaknesses yeah. and these problems. And when I when I hear about you know shortcomings or mistakes or even just points of disagreement with people that I really cherish historically, it actually endears them to me more because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, see, God uses regular people. I mean, Spurgeon yeah. Spurgeon was a was a more gifted preacher right. than I am, and God will use Spurgeon in a, has used Spurgeon in a greater way uh, by many metrics than he would use you or I. And that's fine. That, that That's great. But he uses regular people. And uh, mm. Spurgeon's a testimony to that because he preached to regular people as a regular guy. You know, he used that language. Interesting stuff about some of his little, his little quirks that we may not like. But uh, I'm grateful for him, man. And you know what? And I'm grateful for you. you uh, I'm so glad you were able to come on the podcast and to encourage people to get into Spurgeon. We're, uh, and if, if people want to follow you, if people want to like, hey, I want to, I want to talk to Ed online. Like, I want to get into his, uh, I want to get into his brain. I want to, I want to ask him questions about, you know, sermons about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I, listen, don't overwhelm him, guys. But he, you are very accessible. You, you've always been, you know, really, really kind to deal with people. You can find Ed on Twitter at Ed Romine. That's it. Yep. At Ed Romine. No underscore. No number. Yep. Like Jimmy does. Jimmy. Jimmy with yeah. his silly 60 whatever. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Ed, that's yeah. how you do it. What What is that? Is that like a, you know, the the, the day he, you know, grew into a man? Or what did those oh, numbers no, Well, first for? of all, no, it couldn't be that. He hasn't hit that yet. He's still, he's still, <laughs> he's still a young person. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. According to me, anyways, you know, he's a young person. So that that means I'm a baby still in doubt. Oh, you right listen. You you you've got the brain of a, a of a 
wise old man and, and the and the heart uh of of a wise old man but uh yeah you're still young man well, thank you brother you're you're, you're, like, yeah. you're you're not even 40 you're you're considered yeah. young until you hit 40 in baptist life i think is what it so, is so so you met one of my pastors a while back over the internet russ robinson yeah uh pastor russ tells me all the time i preach like an old man so, <laughs> it's a compliment so. It's, yeah, a, it's, yeah. it's definitely a compliment. Hey, Ed, thanks for coming on, man. You might want to come back sometime, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. We could, we could talk about LDS theology. I yeah, live man. in Utah. So. Well, uh, let's, let's plan on that. Let's have you back on, and we'll talk about Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, Mormonism, uh, points to talk about, and points to clarify when we're doing evangelism or apologetics with them, all right? Amen, brother. Hey, love you so much. Love you too, man. And for everybody else, man, thanks for tuning in. I know you enjoyed Ed. We'll have him back on. But if you want to uh, check out what we're doing, you can go to our website, DoctrineAndDevotion.com. You can find us on social media, at DocAndDevo. Facebook.com slash DoctrineAndDevotion. And uh, if you want to support the store, you can go to uh, jofostore.com. You can buy a sweatshirt like this, the Charles Haddon Spurgeon Signature uh, sweatshirt. And uh, if you really want to support the podcast, you can join All Access. That'll give you theological meditations five days a week, Monday through Friday, and a Banter of Truth podcast that is locked down commercial-free only for our All Access subscribers. Though you can check back this past week because we let one fly for free so everybody could check it out. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you have a great week. Thank you.